Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode, one where we're going to dive into conflict, uh, maybe how to avoid it. Is it good? Is it healthy? Uh, when you're in the midst of it, how do you get out of it? What does it look like for believers uh, to be in conflict as well? And for that, we brought in a content expert. Uh, his name's Brian Noble, and uh, he has a whole ministry surrounding peacemaking. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about him. I'm going to share on him. Before I get to that and bring him into the show, I do want to remind you we're coming up close on it. Looking forward to our very first Grace Story Men's Conference coming up the first weekend of May. Uh, if you want more information on that or to register, go over to GraceStoryMinistries.com. GraceStoryMinistries.com to register, get more information. Uh, while you're over there, be sure to subscribe to our mailing list for updates on ticket availability, uh, speaker announcements, conference updates, and much, much more. You And that will go all through the year too. Um, and so, yeah, just don't forget to do that. Now, before I bring Brian into the show, I do want to tell you a little, about, a little bit about this guy. Brian is an everyday guy who loves Jesus and cares deeply about people's relationships. He's been married to his best friend, Tanya, for over 20 years. They have four children, a daughter-in-law, and one grandchild. They currently reside in eastern Washington. Brian has a Master of Arts in Missional Leadership from Northwestern University. He is the CEO of Peacemaker Ministries, and he's been an ordained minister for over 25 years. Brian proclaims hope through the gospel message as the Holy Spirit empowers believers in their daily life. The Path of a Peacemaker is one of his books. He has three books, uh, include The Path of the Peacemaker, Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking, and Living Reconciled, uh, and several other resources, all, all of which, if you click in the show notes on his website, we'll have it down there. You can go over there. Uh, he's also a certified peacemaker fellow with a thousand hours of conflict coaching uh, and mediation experience. Uh, so he's one that, it, man, he's, if you're going to have a content expert, he's the one to have on. And Brian, hey, welcome to Grace Story Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on today. It's great to be here. Yeah, I noticed in, uh, first of all, the beard games are strong in in this particular episode. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I think I might have a little more gray in my beard. No, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If I turn to the side, there's some, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, three three girls in and it just starts popping up on when yeah, you have three, right. three children. Uh, but I noticed in your bio, along with being the director, CEO of Peacemaker Ministries, you're also what's called a Peacemaker Fellow. Uh, what, what does that mean? What does that entail? Well, that's part of our certification at Peacemakers. And so Peacemaker Fellows are committed to taking the Ministry of Reconciliation um, all around the world. And so we're in 100 different countries and uh, just all over, uh, just making sure that the church knows how to respond to conflict biblically. And so it's part of our certification program, and it's kind of a fancy title to say, hey, I, I went through some training and I, I, you know, for me, I wrote the training, but that that's okay. So we'll, we'll have fun. Well, I think some of it, I mean, you have a thousand plus hours that that training probably comes on the job a lot too. Uh, there's only it so does. much you can do to prepare. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I don't actually even know how to calculate it. I, I would probably say it's upward. I mean, I've done thousands of cases. So, I mean, that that's, it's just interesting to see how, you know, when people respond to conflict, I, I don't even know how to calculate that. And there's certain patterns that you can see. And uh, there's also certain things that are just very unique about each conflict. Well, as someone who, uh, uh, out of whether it's my story of my life or, you know, a personal, you know, a, a DNA set, as someone who avoids conflict a lot, you know, it's interesting to meet someone who's like, you know what, going to make this my life's work. Uh, let's have another conflict meeting at five. Let's, Bring them, bring them on in. Bring them on. Um, it's fun. And it's so, not that I, it's fun because um, I enjoy the tension because there is tension even, even, you know, that's there. It's fun. The outcome when the gospel wins, that's the fun part. When humility wins, when, when truth wins, that's when it's fun. Um, no, it doesn't happen that way every time. Of course we're human beings, but um, yeah, that's when, that's when it's fun. Yeah. I can understand that as I, I work in the emergency department, it's, it's, it's weird to tell people, you know, like I enjoy when somebody comes in with a bone sticking out or, you know, they, they're having trouble breathing because it, it's exactly that. 
I understand processes and the outcome when they leave with a smile on their face or at least in a little less pain, uh, you've done something, you've made a difference. You've, you've moved them in a direction of healing. Um, yeah. and that's, that's good. That's wonderful in a way. Now I noticed your, your ministry is not called, uh, peacekeeping, uh, ministries. Uh, no, not it's at all. Peacemaking. Is there a difference there in an intentionality in the, in the title? Yeah. So this is, so let's use the ER example that you just brought up. You said, you know, I, you just made a claim. You said, I avoid conflict, but then you say you work in the ER. And I just, I wanted to laugh because I'm like, actually you run towards conflict. (laughs) It's just a different type of conflict. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in the ER, it's one of those things where peacekeeping could be like to just, you know, someone comes in with a a gunshot wound and putting a bandaid on it and pretending like it wasn't a gunshot wound. Right. Mm -hmm. We're just going to pretend like it's there. No, peacemaking is where you go in and you make sure that 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 wound is cleaned out, that that um, that the fragments of bullets or bone or whatever. I'm not I'm not an ER person. So but whatever happens, you know, you go and you clean it out, you stitch it back up, you make sure that they're on a process of doing that. And so that's peacemaking. It's lasting peace. Yes. Will we have little scars on our skin? Of course we will. I mean, that's just that's just how how it it, it is. But we're no longer um, deter, um, defined by that uh, event any longer because we've made true peace there. Where peacekeeping is oftentimes just, you know, well, we'll just kind of cover it up or pretend or that kind of thing. Let's dig deeper there as, as we've talked about what peacemaking is. Uh, it, what is biblical peacemaking? Is there a difference there than what maybe the secular world would be like, yes, this is how we make peace. Uh, what, what's the difference there maybe with biblical peacemaking? Yeah, so I'm also trained in secular mediation, and secular ma- mediation is is that concept of getting a mediated agreement that both parties can somewhat like, and then they sign the bottom line and move forward, right? It's, yeah, there, there's some people listening. They're like cringing, triggered. I've been through that meeting where yeah, we signed that paper. Yeah, yeah it's it's it. Oftentimes, no one's really that excited. Um, it, it's just kind of getting to a mediated agreement. Biblical peacemaking uh, really has the foundation of the gospel uh, at, at its, you know, at its core. And what that means is like, think about the gospel message. How many sins did Jesus Christ die on the cross for that he committed personally? The answer mm-hmm. is zero. Mm-hmm. And yet it was the most authentic action that ever took place in the whole world. So we have sinless Jesus, God dying for sinful people like us. And he, in that word comes and he reconciled the world to himself through that action. Uh, and so we go to very deep and some people, th- when I begin to describe this, they're like, oh, so we just pretend like sin isn't happening. And I go back and say, well, was the cross a pretend action? No, it's the, it's the, as- the, the aspect or the attitude of Christ, like it says in Philippians 2, 4, that says, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's that humble attitude that is both true and love and it's truth and love combined. And so when we're working through agreements, when we're working through things, yeah, yeah, we want a just outcome because God is a just God. We also know that at our greatest point of injustice is our greatest opportunity to live out that gospel message and be like Christ. Wow. Well, I mean, with that, there, there's got to be a, a, a unique side of doing this in the religious world uh, as well. I mean, because you bring in that part of it, and and it's a commonality. We all agree on Christ following, being like Christ, and and following Christ. Uh, in your in your your times with both secular mediation and doing this in like a church body session, what what are some of those differences that you notice between doing this with secular people and then those that claim to be Christ followers? Well, I, I would like to say that there's a huge difference. Um, unfortunately, there's not um, in the sense of you would like to think that people who went to Sunday school every single day of their life and know the Bible at the core of who they are. Uh, would have better uh, outward responses to the tensions and conflicts that they have. Unfortunately, oftentimes it's worse, uh, quite frankly. And I'm not just saying that to dog on the church. I think a lot of people do do that. Um, for some reason in the in the body of Christ, we, um, we have a lot of uh, scriptural memory verses, but not application of those memory verses. Mm-hmm. And that memory and that and that head knowledge, that gnosis, uh, really leads to pride, and it's almost more difficult to overcome at times. Mm-hmm. So here's what I know: when people have a high spiritual maturity of application, and the word application is very big there, they they've somehow learned through through their 
their upbringing, how to apply the gospel in a daily way, the Bible in a daily way, we have huge success. I mean, I was just in a case in California just a couple of weeks ago, and it, I was so excited because I don't come across this often. They, um, the number of elders there, uh, they had an application of humility that I just, it's biblical, yet they spoke truth. And I don't, so usually what I find is like, either they're, hum, it's a false humility that they, they just kind of sugarcoat it and blah, blah, blah. The, the, these gentlemen were able to speak truth, be humble and own stuff that they didn't even do. I mean, it was, it, it, I was amazed by it. Um, and how, how is that? It's that they somehow figured out how to apply the gospel in a daily way. Right. I mean, and, and understood who uh, they are and whose they are. And, um, and so I, I, I'm probably going down a rabbit trail, but that's, that's really what I've, I've seen. So between secular or, or just mediations and, and, and Christian ones, the spiritual, the authentic spiritual maturity is the determining factor. Well, it, if it's a rabbit trail, it's a rabbit trail that I like because I kind of want to go down that further and uh, talk about, because a lot of people, when they're talking about conflict and especially in culture um, and, you know, standing up for what is right and they feel passionate about things, a lot of times they will bring up, you know, Jesus in the temple. It's the first thing to go to like, right. hey, I, I get you know, to flip tables and the extent of my anger up to and including a whip. Um, then I have to shut it off. Like, but may, maybe talk, can you talk us through that application maybe and what you're talking about of applying that yeah. example to your life? Yeah. So we, we, we look at Jesus and overturning the tables. I think when we make comparisons, it's really important that we understand context of scripture first off. Uh, and, and really where, where they were buying and selling, a lot of people get caught up on that. What they didn't understand, a lot of people don't recognize, is that was in the Gentile courts. And what the Gentile courts were, for the unbeliever to be able to come and overhear the gospel happening in, in the synagogue. And so they had taken up all that space and pushed the, the Gentiles out further so they couldn't hear the gospel. So I say this, first off, if you're standing up for something and it's for the sake of people hearing the gospel, okay, you might have the right to overturn tables and, and bring out a whip. I don't know. But then there's a the second, there's a the second question is Jesus never um, laid down any aspect of the Holy spirit. In other words, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, mm. gentleness, self-control. Every table he overturned, he did it intentionally. Mm. Every, every thing that he did, he, he wasn't. So we, we kind of get in that moment, like is, was Jesus out of control? Mm. Impossible. He was sinless. He was not out of control. He did everything in his right mind. And oftentimes when it comes to justice on my part, you know, my, my dopamine's falling for the frontal cortex. My emotions are going and I'm not in my right mind. I'm in a, in a, in a sort of a, a space of anger or frustration. And so I, I can't, that, that's not a true comparison to say, well, these actions are the same as Jesus, but what, the personal state of where I am is that the same. The, the second thing is, is that uh, he did, he stood for things against God's kingdom versus, you know, usually when I'm in, in a place of anger, it's my kingdom right? It's, it's really about me. Mm -hmm. And, and it was over an actual sin, not a perceived sin. So it wasn't like, uh, it was a preference, you know, of those things. So, you know, there's certain cultural things that we could, we could pick out that we'd say, yeah, that's very clear in scripture that that is a sin. And we need to stand for that, uh, you know, stand against that. But there's other things like, I don't know, uh, certain levels of taxation or whatever that it's not as clear in scripture. And so then, you know, do, do I really get to sin against someone else to get what I want for those, you know, for those things. And so that's, I think it's very important. There's five times in the Bible when Jesus became indignant. Once was, it was with the vulnerable uh, children uh, when the disciples were keeping children. Once was when the Gentiles were, were not being able to hear the gospel, the outer courts that I just described. Actually it was twice with children. Once when uh, Peter tried to convince him um, not uh, not to go to the cross. And he says, get behind me, <laughs> for you mm -hmm. don't know the will of God. Um, so, you know, I, I'm trying to remember the fifth one. But anyways, um, the, the, those are the examples. And so I think, I think those comparisons are really important when we talk about our anger and is it righteous. Well, a lot of those, too, deal with, as I'm listening to you go through them, they deal with uh, others, people, not just the, you know, pushing the selfish agenda of one person. It's more inclusion and bringing more people to 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 the kingdom, um, pushing the kingdom's agenda, not one, one's own. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, we could go down that rabbit trail a lot. We really could, right. but getting back to conflict, um, yeah. and, and I'd like to know, cause you've dealt with a thousand plus hours of conflict yeah. mediation with that. What's some of the common themes that you see both in relationships, but then also the church body itself, the body of Christ. All right. So I'm going to use a, a I'm going to use a biblical word and then try to use a cultural uh, example. So spiritual idolatry um, is a biblical concept, right? So you can go to Ezekiel, you can go all over about the idea of idolatry. Now, let me go to a, a culture I, way that I see it, whether it's in abusive relationships, whether it's in uh, power abuse, you know, these kind of things. Idolatry is when I take a, a, a desire and I elevate it so, so much that I'm, I'm willing to judge and punish others. In other words, I'm going to become the both the prosecutor and judge and executioner of, of whatever that desire is. We oftentimes have idols uh, when we do that. So, for instance, let's say um, we, we, we hear a lot of like road rage nowadays where mm-hmm. someone gets cut off on the freeway and, and there is an injustice that takes place. And someone that got caught off chases that person down, you know, gets out, starts screaming at them. They start executing a judgment upon them. And we've even seen that turn violent, right, where someone's harmed someone sure. else and they and they execute that judgment by punishing them. Um, or domestic violence where uh, one of the spouse uh, will will say, well, I have this preference. You're not living up to that preference. Therefore, um, I'm going to I'm going to sin against you by uh, belittling you, calling you names. Um, you know, I, I've seen people because I was a sheriff's chaplain where they'll shoot the pet of the of, of the spouse. You know, yeah. um, they'll do stuff to punish them um, because they didn't have their preference met. Right. Or mm-hmm. e- even maybe if it's even a biblical thing. So. So I, I bring that concept up. So the, the repeated thing that I see is where we judge and punish others in our hearts. And this is why a lot of people don't have vibrant marriages. They may not be. um arguing outwardly but in, in their hearts they're holding judgment and and so they they've they they don't feel the sense of love that that sense of awe any longer because because they're judges instead of lovers and so um that's a repeated theme that i see is that that i the idea of spiritual idolatry um which i i mean i can give you an example of uh, of this sure. uh, when i was first yeah. married if you want i don't know yeah um, go for it yeah so when i was first married um I come from a divorced family um, and, and uh, I live with my mom and stepdad uh, for, for most part. And so Tanya and I get married, we're sitting on the couch and, and, uh, and she says, Hey, to me. And I say, Hey, and I'm thinking like, Hey, you know, but she says, uh, are you going to do the dishes? That's what she says to me. And I say, no, women do the dishes. And she gets really quiet and she says, excuse me. And I said, I repeated myself, which if you're a guy out there and you're listening, that is the most stupid thing to do. Get a tattoo. Don't do that. All right. So I, I said, women do the dishes. And so then we had a, a you know, an argument about this. And, and so sometimes I bet. Was, yeah. Yeah. And so she's like, well, why did I have the view that women do the dishes? Well, it's because my mom always did the dishes. Right. Mm-hmm. And why did she have the view that, that the guy does the dishes? Well, cause her dad did the dishes. So, when, when she would say, Brian, will you do the dishes? I, w- I would always hear, I don't love you because I was judging her according to my what my mom did. And when I would say, I'm, I don't want to do the dishes, she would hear, I don't love you because she was judging me to what her dad did, right? And so it became it became an idol for me, right? Like she doesn't love me. She doesn't love me. No, she just asked me to help around the house. That's all she's asking for. And so... I had to tear down that and say, you know what? My mom's personal preference to serve that way is my mom's personal preference. Mm-hmm. And she had to tear down the idol. My dad's pers- personal preference to serve that way it was my dad's personal preference. You know, And so this is where people don't understand how to do that. They just keep hearing, I don't love you, I don't love you, I don't love you, versus let's talk through where's the idols that we're worshiping that we're willing to sin against others to get what we want. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And... <laughs> So it begs a question to me of because that sounds like something good came out of your conflict there. It, it, it reminds me of a of an evangelist I I, I heard once who was um, just talking about him and his wife of fifty years and they had never had an argument uh, and you know he had it as ironically one of the fruits of the spirit is that they had never had an argument. I'm like I don't that doesn't seem right. But I was only like twelve at the time and I'm like 
so ask, asking the question that's on my mind, are there times when conflict is beneficial or good leading to growth or should there be, I mean, what, what's, what's your idea surrounding their conflict being a good thing at times? Absolutely. So we, we teach the difference between healthy tension and unhealthy tension. Uh, we, we, we originally wanted to call it healthy conflict versus unhealthy conflict. When we did our research groups, they couldn't grasp the idea of healthy conflict. So we went with the word tension. Yeah. It, it so, sounds like an oxymoron. Like it is, conflict. it yeah. is. It's like a jumbo shrimp. Um, <laughs> so healthy conflict or healthy tension is tension that brings us closer together. And so when you think about the Bible, let's do it from a spiritual level first. Consider all joy when you encounter various trials. That's healthy tension, healthy conflict. Trials that, why? And and in that, in James, he goes down so that you'd be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Maturity happens through your tension and conflict. And this evangelist that said that, I would respectfully disagree. I'd say, well, then your your relationship's not maturing um, because mm. you have to have a level of tension or conflict. It needs to be healthy. So healthy tension brings us closer together. Now, let me give you a, a practical example of that. Think about the tension of being single, right? You're, you're single and you want to get married. So you, you go out and you find a spouse and uh, a, a girlfriend. Let's start there. You find a girlfriend and you have this tension because you want this marriage and there's this tension there. Then you get married and you think, I'm going to have I'm going to have kids. And not to get too graphic, but you you go through the whole process of making kids. There's tension, and it's a healthy tension there. Mm -hmm. um, some can have kids very easy. Some some can have kids not so easy. And then you get to childbirth, okay? And so at childbirth, the child's made and ready to be delivered. What is it? There's birth pains. That's healthy tension. The and the women are like, no, it's not, you know. <laughs> but it is. I mean, it, it's it's tension that comes out to produce something. A child, right? Um, a diamond is built under pressure, tension, something beautiful. A rose is is comes through the ground and is uh, there's tension there because it is if you you know if you watch uh, flowers or, or vegetation grow, um, and so God uses tension to produce something in us is what I'm trying to say. What a lot of couples do is because we're 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 very self centered culture right now is we say any tension must be bad. But think of a, a football team or a basketball team or a baseball team, whatever your favorite sport is. If there was no tension from the coach, they would not be a good team. And if you think of a good marriage, there is healthy tension. It's where there's love, respect, but there's truth and honesty. And it's there's an iron sharpened iron experience where each person is growing to understand the gospel in a deeper way. Well, that's good. And, and, and that, that brings me to another question with that. When individuals are in a relationship and they're effectively, how can they effectively communicate their needs while also having boundaries uh, and and maybe prevent unnecessary unhealthy conflict? Um, how do you know the difference of engaging in healthy tension and unhealthy conflict? So uh, in Second Corinthians five, it says the love of Christ constraineth us. That's in the King James. I use the word constraineth because in the New Testament, I mean, in the more modern translation, it says controls us. The idea of constraineth uh, us in, in the King James is, which I'm not a anyway, uh, is uh, like a parameter, right? So it's like a fence post all around this idea of love. The difference might be is that for you, you may say, well, you know, someone speaking directly and bluntly to me uh, pushes a boundary for me because it just makes me feel something inside that I don't like. And for me, someone speaking directly and bluntly to me uh, or speaking vaguely and passive aggressively to me may push a button to me because I feel like, well, they must not like me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so our different, that's where relationship has to happen. We have to understand like, Hey, this pushes for me. So the concept in marriage and relationship is how do we serve each other? where both person uh, persons are are able to express their thing, uh, their their uh, viewpoint, and yet respect what may be something that's a little bit much for them. So, like for instance, in most marriages, people do not process information at the same rate. So, my wife doesn't process. This is not about intelligence because if you knew my wife, she is so much smarter than I am. I mean, like, mm. it's amazing. I'm just I, I and I'm not putting myself down in in a in a false way. My wife is literally smarter than me. It's period. <laughs> And yet she processes slower than I do. That's probably why she's smarter because she actually thinks about what she's going to say. But anyways, she, she processes at a slower rate than I do. 
So we've learned a dance, right? I can, I can put something out there. I'm going to give her the space to process it. She puts it out there. I can process fast and she not be offended by that, you know, and there's a dance to that, right? There's a, there's a level of just figuring it out. It took 25 years um, to do that. But I find most people quit right when they're going to get to the, the point of understanding each other. There's major hallmarks in our marriages and in our relationships that kind of pushes over the hill of understanding. Year seven of most relationships is where you just begin to understand the other person. And most people get divorced at that rate, at that spot. Uh, year 10 is another major one where year 10, you'll move into to being good friends, just good friends at year 10. And most people divorce before that. And there's a level of friendship at year 15 that most people never experience because they never go through those tensions of growth. Um, they just give up way too soon. Yeah. Some of what you said there tracks a lot. The same thing can be said about my wife so much. So we're at year eight, Ooh, almost screwed that up, but we're at year eight. And, uh, you know, one of the things we did, um, is without any, uh, conflict or, or any overarching thing that we needed to work on, we just decided, Hey, let's go to marriage counseling. Um, and we agreed. And honestly, the, the counselor was kind of surprised in a way, I think, to have us come in like, actually, this is awesome. People don't normally do this. Let's talk. Um, so it was it was interesting. And it was after a podcast where somebody had suggested it as a birthday gift. I'm like, eh, we'll just do it as just a thing. But yeah, my wife is like that, where I have had to come to a point where I have to say, are you processing or are you giving me the silent treatment? Um, and it's usually she's just she's like, I'm just thinking. Right. And I'll get back to you on that. So there becomes, a, we, we could put a lot of pins in arguments and come back to them. Um, and that allows space and uh, emotion-free decision-making within the conflict uh, that we're having. That is such a powerful question. And I, I, I'm proud of you for like really identifying that. You know, a lot of couples won't sit back and evaluate. And that's why like when, in, in the path of Peacemaker, if you like get our app or whatever, it it begins to teach you. Like, how do I go back and discover? How do I, I'm doing my hand motions because it's how we teach people. How do I, how do I go back and like, okay, what just happened there? I didn't like how that felt and, and process through it. Unfortunately, in our culture right now, we just, we like to say, I, and I want to be careful with this because there are true victims out there. So I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't victims, but not everything is a victim thing, right? And so we have to balance that and say, okay, we got out of control. My out of control is not, hitting, cussing, calling names of threatening, you know, those, those are out of control things. When I say out of control, I got disappointed and I raised my voice, you know, um, that's what I'm thinking of. That's normal out of control. So like hitting, calling names, threatening, mm -hmm. that is out of bounds, unacceptable, sinful behavior, you know, not, not to be tolerated. Um, but no, but period. When we have, um, you know, disappointment and we've raised our voice or something uh, and we've uh, uh, caused, caused that to have that question that you just said, like, hey, are you processing? Do you know that, that that is such a biblical concept? God puts a parameter on on his way of dealing with anger and with judgments. Mm. Think about this. His his anger is for a moment, but his loving kindness is for a lifetime. That's a parameter. Yeah. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, some people have used that to say, let's just fight it out. <laughs> it's less about the sun and more about a parameter, right? Mm -hmm. So I've asked my wife, hey, do you need a, you know, a couple of days to think about this? Yeah, I do. Great. Can we have a, a date in two days and we'll come back and talk? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful truth you just brought out. That's just amazing. If, you could, if couples could just learn that. Well, it only took me eight years to get to the point where I can ask that question. Uh, and it's still frustrating at times, though, because, you know, and, and she'll recognize that in me. And uh, yeah, and, and sometimes we have to ask each other, hey, the way I'm feeling, is that my thing or is that your thing? I don't know. <laughs> right. We'll go back and forth. So I want to dig on this, too, because I want to get to your because in the path of the peacemaker, you have it kind of partitioned up into these these steps or these uh, kind of a game plan. Um, right. of like understanding perspective, the story, ascending, reflecting, and connecting. Um, right. well, can you walk us through that as it comes to conflict? 
Yeah. So when it comes to conflict, the first thing is we wanted to, in, uh, to embrace the biblical concept of being quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. Right. So discover the story, be quick to listen. And most people will not do that. They're quick to speak, slow to listen and quick to anger. Right. Yeah. Right, right here. Right here. Me too. Me too. That's how I am. And, and, uh, what we need to understand is how to slow it down. I always tell people that most of our conflicts are not the house burning down, but we treat it like the house is burning down. Mm. Right. Uh, I was a fire chaplain for a lot of years. And when the house is burning down, by all means, yell, scream for safety to get people out of the house. I, I That's perfectly healthy conflict when the house is actually on fire. Right. I mean, it, but most of it's like budgets. It's, our intimacy and sex, it's, you know, all the, it, it, it's not going to change that much by if you ha- wait for 24 hours to have a discussion. I mean, for the most part, um, you know, so um, be quick to listen, value each other through listening. That's that first discover the story. Come, let's talk about this. Let's reason together. Let's work through this in a reasonable way. Um, the, the next part is the Bible says to set your eyes on the things above and not on the things of this earth even in our conflicts. Hmm. So that's the ascend or look up uh, part of our thing. And it's like, what if you said, honey, I heard you. Would you mind if we stop and just pray? We acknowledge God's presence with us. Um, and it's not the prayer of Lord change my wife. And you know, it, not, not that kind of prayer, <laughs> but Lord, we have a dispute. We're not agreeing. Help us. We need your help. We need your wisdom. We're going to take 24 hours to think about this. Um, or 48 hours, whatever. We need to do our research on this item a little bit more, whatever it might be. Will you give us wisdom? I mean, it's just a a gentle, authentic prayer of coming together. Mm. Um, To give you this example, in in Philippians chapter four, Iodia and Syntyche are two women that are fighting. And a lot of people quote this verse, you know, be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication. But they forget the parts before it. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all. And then he says this, the Lord is near. Hmm. So here's these two women fighting. He says, start with rejoicing and recognize that God's presence is with you. Set your eyes on those things above. And this is where if people in intimate relationships can begin to understand God is with them right there. His presence never leaves them, forsakes them. He doesn't, he doesn't allow allow them to, you know, live as orphans. He's, he's there. He's given you the Holy spirit as your helper. And so just that's, that's that second step is to recognize God's presence. Um, the other day I had a conflict with someone in the church and I said something unbecomingly. I'll just say that, uh, you know, not, not to them, but behind their back. Cause that's always the Christian way, you know, like just <laughs> under my breath. Um, and I was convicted instantly. I was like, no, that is my brother. And in Christ. He, he is my brother, Lord. And I, 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 I went to the Lord in repentance. I said, I shouldn't have said that under my breath privately. Um, and I said, uh, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. He is your child. He's we're brothers and you're our father. And so getting that mindset again, like, Hey, we're one in Christ. We're, we're together. That's step number two. The third step is take personal responsibility, uh, and gently restore. So that's that reflecting part. Uh, so we've gone, we've encountered God's presence together. And Jesus is clear that we are to um, take the log out of our own eye before we try to correct someone else. Mm-hmm. Paul in Galatians 6.1 gives the same principle. And so that's that second step where we just own our stuff. Like, I, I always ask this question. How many sins did Jesus Christ down the cross for that he premeditatively, willfully, and uh, strategically planned? Mm-hmm. And, the, and the answer is like, zero. So your gospel message is that Jesus died for sin that he didn't commit, right? Why in conflict are you only want to take responsibility for those things that you premeditated willfully and strategically did? Well, because it would be inauthentic if I took responsibility. I said, oh, so you're telling me the cross is inauthentic. Mm. See, it does. It, the, the whole thing breaks down. Our gospel is the righteous dying for the unrighteous. And so whether that was my intentions to offend my wife or not, whether I premeditatively wanted to offend her or not, doesn't matter. I offended her. So to own it. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, be humble. Well, I do. I mean, with that, that's, that's kind of the defining, what should be 
the defining marker of just flipping everything on its head. The world, uh, as, as uh, you know, Christian circles call it, should not understand our level of conflict resolution. Like right. it should be like stunning. Like what you forgave them for what, for who you didn't even come on. You can, you, you, you could have slapped them in the face for that. And it'd been all right. That would have been even like, you know, right. doesn't the Bible say turn the other cheek, you know what? So, I mean, and then, yeah. But with, what you with, did is really important because most Christians, when they talk to other Christians who are in conflict, they do exactly what you just said. We give true. them, we give them earthly wisdom that James talks about that says it's demonic. In James chapter three, he says, it's demonic wisdom when we tell people, yeah, your flesh is good. Your flesh is all right. You could have t- you could have hit them. You could have done worse than that. You could have got more money from them. And Christians do that all the time. Yeah, you were actually self-controlled. You only took them for, you know, a hundred thousand when you right. could have sued them. <laughs> so oh, okay. and on the on the topic of praying right in the in the uh, uh in the middle of a conflict, I would say that at least me, I would probably need to preface and say to my wife, hey, next time we're in conflict, I would like to pray because I could see it being <laughs> a problem. Well, if I've never done that before, coming in like, hey, we're about to fight. Let's stop and I'm going to pray. And I like take some moral high ground. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, so well, remember, is- there's also the prayers in your head. So, gotcha. so, so, so I was actually referring to like, we stop and pray, like even have a quiet time to ourselves. Uh, or in your head, we 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 do that because until that becomes a practice of you doing it privately, we shouldn't be doing it publicly, mm. right? Yeah. So, like, what what do we tell our worship leaders? Until you worship privately, don't think you can get up and lead worship on whatever your 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 day of celebration is publicly, right? Mm. I mean, otherwise, it's just a performance. You have True. to from that private, and so we start with that, like. I don't know how you demonstrate in your head. So you're in this conflict and in your head, you stop and pray. You're like, Lord, I set my eye. This is all happening internally. I set my eyes on you. I calm myself. I I do this. And if both people are practicing that, then it will come out publicly where you're doing it together. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Let me ask you this on that. Are there, are there good ways to prepare as a couple or even a church to, to have healthy tension together, like walking through it, like not just like, Hey, we're going to have as much conflict as possible so we can practice. But are there ways to prepare for conflict ahead of time with lingo or setting or, or what would that look like? Well, that's what, so now I'm going to have the sales pitch because that's what we do. So (laughs) we come in and we we tell, we, we train people ahead of time how to deal with conflict. And, and here's my passion. It's so much that I give it so much away on the app, the Peacemaker Ministries app. You can search up for this on Google. Uh, we'll have it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah, at the bottom. So go through that with your spouse and say, hey, can we just agree that when we're in conflict, we're going to walk through these steps together? Start navigating, you know, you mm-hmm. hit start navigating conflict, simple path. I always tell people, when's the best time to learn about conflict? When you're not in conflict. Yeah. When you get pulled over by the police officer, that's not the time for the driver's ed class, <laughs> right? You're not listening. Um, and so, um, that's, that's where we, you know, that's what we do. We come into churches, we, we do seminars in non-conflict at times. Unfortunately, most of the time they call us when they're in conflict. And so it, it, we we're trying to train them. They're halfway listening. Um, and, but yeah, I think it's during non-conflict times do it in your small, you know, have a small group study. We have those, you know, even if it's just using our app and the Bible verses in there. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I mean, I obviously I need to make a living, but I want people to be reconciled more than I want to make a living, you know? So I've put it out on everyone's phone that they can use that. There's, there's so much content in there for a Bible study, for whatever. Um, we even have content on redefining difficult relationships that won't reconcile, right? How do I get control of my thoughts, my eyes, my ears, my heart, my arms, my feet? Because sometimes people don't want to reconcile. That's just how it is. So I can still experience God's peace. And so it's on there on the app as well. well another example of healthy tension, making a living in your ministry versus uh, helping people uh, along in their journey of restoration. You mentioned it a little bit, um, but like if we're preparing and sometimes you go to, you know, an elder or some uh, a person who has a lot more wisdom than you and you ask for advice for a difficult conversation maybe from your perspective where's that line between getting advice for a difficult conversation and simply going to someone and unloading and gossiping and trying to have this cathartic you know like you feel better and you don't even need to have the conflict now uh where's that line 
So I, I like to say this in high profile relationships and your marriage is one, right? That's a, I call that a high profile relationship. You should pre-assign who you're going to get wise counsel from. Mm. It keeps you from getting wise counsel from everyone, <laughs> you know, cause so like my wife knows I'm going to go to Mike Drew. If we get into a conflict and I need to get wise counsel, we have an elder at our church. He's, he's, I don't, I don't want to say his age in case he listens to this. I, cause I don't know his age, <laughs> but he's, you know, 20 years older than I am. Maybe not 20, maybe 15 years older than I am. And I, and he's not going to coddle me, right? He's going to help me see my blind spots. And so I go to him and I can talk to him. In fact, I'm meeting with him Friday to talk about that guy where I said something under my breath and I had to go back to the Lord, Lord with, you know, and, and so uh, that's not with my wife, but that's just the situation I'm in right now. And so he's going to, he will not coddle me. He will say, Brian, you, you have this blind spot. Let's talk about this. And we've predefined the relationship that way. And he happens to be an elder in our church that is just a wise Christian believer that will do it. So I think that's number one, pre-assigned. Um, number two is if someone comes to you, ask them, are you just venting right now? Or are you as wanting wisdom? Mm. Um, and if you're just venting, I'm not sure I'm going to listen. I, I tell people that because for me just to hear um, – all about someone else's followness that's not in the room. I, I'm well, not from sure. From one how, side too, yeah. One side. I don't know how appropriate that is. Mm. I do know that sometimes people do need to vent, so I'm not against that. Uh, I just have to be the one, if they're coming to, that I don't pick up a judgment towards the person who's not in the room. Right? So I will intentionally pray, Lord, that was that person's perspective. I lay it down. I'm not going to judge the other person. I'm not going to define them that way. Um, but many of our church conflicts and family conflicts uh, that we deal with are also off of secondhand uh, judgments and secondhand or thirdhand or fifthhand um, offenses. Um, and so um, it just spreads like a cancer. Right. And so we've talked a lot about the, uh, the individuals but uh, maybe are there unique challenges when you switch over to conflict resolution in religious communities or in the, the church itself? Yeah. And this is actually a little bit more cultural than biblical. So um, there's certain cultures, let's say like, um, uh, like the Dutch culture, let's take that one. Uh, oftentimes uh, in the Dutch culture, it is very shove it down. Don't talk about it, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, and I, I'm, I know I'm using stereotypes right now and people hate that, but, I, I, I've worked with Dutch churches and this is what happens. I'm not Dutch, but that seems like, you know, something I might've grown up in at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's very common in a lot of, um, yeah, our, our European type of, you know, then if you go like to the Hispanic Latino culture, there's, there's a lot less of that. And so like, there's a lot more, no, you just say it how it is. And this is, you know, we're going to, and, and there's just as much, if you go to New York, I can tell you I've done mediations in New York. Uh, that's New York has a culture of itself where it's just right in your face. You know, it is just, it, it's, for, for, and I'm talking stereotypes now where if you go to the South, it's much more polite, you know, it's like, bless their, bless their hearts. Mm -hmm. And that really means like, I don't believe you, you know, anyway, but uh, so there's different regions of our, of the United States and even the world is my point. And so those patterns uh, actually come into the church where when we look at it from a biblical worldview, um, God says, talk about those differences, speak truth, do it in a way that's palatable, use love, um, and, and be clear with each other. Um, think about how God addressed David in the Old Testament. It was abundantly truth and abundantly love. Think about uh, Joseph when he re-encountered his brothers in Genesis 45. It, you know, Joseph, I, I like to use him as an example as a victim right? True. Sold out by his family. He was uh, falsely incarcerated. He was sold out by his employer. I mean, I'm, I'm using modern language, but I mean, if you go through it, he's a victim. And yet when he readdresses his brothers the second time, which is interesting because the first time he, he kind of, we don't know his motive. It doesn't say, but the first time he kind of set him up a little bit, but the second time when something changed or something, because he says, come closer to me, what you meant for harm, God had an eternal plan. Was that truthful? Yeah, he said, you harmed me. 
but God had an eternal plan for that. And he does it seven times in Genesis 45, um, where he talks to his brothers in a truthful way, direct way, but with an eternal perspective um, uh, in that. And so that's where we should be. I'd say most of the, most of the church isn't, isn't there. Well, with, when you get humanity involved and, uh, right. but I mean, also with that, we got to give people a break. If you're, if you're out here as an expert and you obviously see the need for the education, you know, there's just a true ignorance at times of how to actually manage conflict. Otherwise there would be no need for you. People would just be like, Oh, I read Matthew today and now I know. So that's what we do for <laughs> conflict management. Like there's, you know, truly a need for you, which has has the question coming in my mind of how can pastors, uh, we'll, we'll expand it to just religious leaders in general, address conflicts within their uh, denominations, their congregations, while still also kind of maintaining that spiritual leader role? Or should there be an intermediary? Or what does that look like for people with, a small flock as a spiritual leader going in and, and solving conflict while also getting up there on the day of uh, celebration, the Sabbath and, you know, parsing out the word of God. Yeah. So, um, so how I got into peacemaking is I split a church. So when I was 26, 27, I, I split a church. And so then I was like, God, there's gotta be a better way. And so then it, I went on the quest and I found peacemaker ministries cause we've been around for, I didn't, I found them online. I didn't find, I wasn't the founder. I want to be careful because that kind of sounded like I was the founder. But uh, so Ken Sandy was the founder of Peacemaker Ministries 30 years ago. And then I, you know, uh, I started researching that and found him and started growing in these biblical truths. And the next church I went to, we, we authentically created a culture of peace. Um, mm. It did not mean that we did not, we didn't have conflict. It's how we handled the conflict. So I tell pastors this first, if you're presently in a conflict right now, probably a neutral person is much is a better way because you haven't laid out the foundation for future arguments. <laughs> so a, a neutral person will, will probably help you out as, uh, to get, to get you going. Um, but let's say, let's say like they're not in conflict right now, then this gives you the, the, the means to do some training within your church to lay out some ground rules of how we're going to fight. We, we encourage people to do that through a relational commitment. They pre sign you know, a lot of, a lot of churches have covenants, you know, membership covenants and blah, blah, blah. We just add a paper that says, this is how we're going to fight. Um, I'm committed to speaking directly to the person. I'm committed to walking the path of a peacemaker. Mm -hmm. um, I'm committed to speaking truth and love, you know, so it's how are we going to fight paperwork? So that way, when you're in conflict, you go back to your piece of paper and you say, okay, we need to embrace this. This is how we're going to fight. And, and, and we're going to have healthy tension here. Right. And, and so then we put parameters, the love of Christ, Christ constraineth us, you know, <laughs> the King James, you know, it's that, that control of those fence posts. And so that's, that's what we say. And then we, we tell pastors preach on conflict at least once to twice a year. Hmm. Unfortunately, as Christians, we leak, you know, why, why does God have us do communion? I believe weekly or, you know, some people monthly, whatever often it's because he didn't say do this once and then never do it again. Right. He wants that message repeated over and over and over and over. So um, why do we share about, you know, the hope through Jesus Christ over and over and over again? Cause people need it. We leak. So, sure. so bring up relationships and bring up conflict at least twice a year. That's what we well, I, I, that's probably more than twice a year. Okay. Yeah. Good grief. I, 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 our pastor preaches on tithing at least twice a year. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Conflict is going to come up a lot more and it makes sense too, to have rules. It sounds funny of how we're going to fight, how to, we did have an episode entitled how to fight like a Christian, uh, how yeah. to have conflict. Uh, but you know, they do that for, you know, terribly violent things like, uh, UFC boxing. Yeah. There are a list of rules, even though it's going to get violent, blood will be shed. Um, there's a list of rules to go by of, of constrained types of fighting, even in that arena. So why would, why would less blood hopefully, but you know, the Christian might need that as well. Um, so going down that road a little bit further too, yeah. and, cause it sounds like people, if they're in a church setting, maybe they just need to reach out and contact you, but yeah, maybe a little bit of how can faith-based communities foster that culture, a culture of, open communication, conflict resolution, 
uh, and, and maybe what roles are there different roles that individuals can play in that process within the, the body of Christ? Yeah. So, so this part will be boring for most people, but <laughs> a lot of times people don't read their own bylaws and their own governance documents. And so what, what we, what we find is, I mean, that's usually a ground set of rules there. They're not uh, very relational. They're very, um, you know, cold. Um, but I, I tell people, read your ground rules and see what you already have in your in, in your governance documents, number one. Number two is, remember that in most churches, power is entrusted to a smaller group. So whether whether you have a membership of a church that gives power to a group of elders who give power to a pastor, you know, it usually flows down uh, in those things, which people say, I should have all this information. I'm like, no, I, I really don't know that you should. I mean, you're you're not in a position that has been entrusted with that. Um, and we have a culture right now that we use the word transparency as if when there is a problem, everyone's sin should be broadcast to everyone. So is God not transparent because he doesn't broadcast all of our sin to everyone? Mm. And and no, that's not true. I mean, yeah. I'm so thankful that Thank God. there's yeah. not human billboards all across <laughs> Spokane that just have video of Brian's sin being projected mm. to, for everyone to see. So we serve a God who is very because I mean he's obviously ultimate power. He he he's very he he convicts so that we repent and he covers our sin, right? He he doesn't broadcast it. Now sometimes he does use other people around to help bring us to, you know, I'm not saying that. But so do have you entrusted your your the authority to trustworthy people? right? To your elders, to your deacons, to whatever. I'm always afraid to use titles because people are like, oh, see, he believes in. No, I'm just saying whatever your titles are um, and you you have that. Um, and, and there are what we have, congregational churches that say we vote on everything. Those are very few in, wow. in, uh, in, in the United States anyways. Um, but if that's how it works, then follow your process. That's the rules that you set up at the beginning. That's number one. Number two is Understand that you knowing every nuance of a conflict may not be helpful. For instance, and, and I paint this picture with people: Should my kids know every nuance of my of conflicts with my wife? No. No. <laughs> Should they know how we make up at times? No. Well, is that us being less than transparent? No. There, I call it the front yard conversation, the living room conversation, and the bedroom conversation. Sure. There's an appropriate level of information. You know, people who are in my front yard and we're just having a Coke together or whatever don't need to know what hap happened in my bedroom. My kids don't need to know what happened in my bedroom. That's it. That, you know, so there's levels of information, right? And I'm not trying to be overly graphic. I'm trying to paint a picture so that we understand that transparency is not sharing what happened in the bedroom. Okay. Um, that could even be inappropriate. So um, that doesn't mean that we cover up things if there's an injustice that God has entrusted that authority to someone else. For instance, if there's, if there's domestic violence, God's entrusted the authority for the impasse of domestic violence to two people groups. Law enforcement, because um, he says that the government's placed there for our security and safety, and the church. So the church is to handle the spiritual part of disciplining, spiritually disciplining, and maybe even excommunicating an abuser. And the and 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 the government is to handle the the uh, judiciary part to prosecute an abuser. Right? There's two levels of entrusting there. And you say, well, it happened in my bedroom, so I shouldn't talk about it. That's not what I'm saying. He's entrusted entrusted those two when abuse, and we have an impasse to those two levels of authority. Is this making sense? It, it does, and it, it's it's going on to really what is, and I, I want to do a whole series on this. What is a safe church? What does a safe church look like? And when it comes in the area of conflict, what I'm hearing from you is, is first, the rules, know the rules. And we always have that one person that sits down with a new game and it's me. I'll be that guy with like, 
let's read the rules before we start here. And then there's right. always one that's like, actually, if we just start, we can figure it out as we go. I'm like, I don't like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't like that. But, but the rules and then proper people and authority uh, and then boundaries, it really comes to rules, roles, and restrictions. It is. Uh, based on, and that will be a great game plan to start a healthy, safe church. Um, it is. Yeah. Wow. Because see, this is the thing. It, it, I don't know how deep you want to go into this, but think about this. Uh, God, because of sin, separated powers on this earth so that no person would have want too much power, right? So- you know, it's male and female separated powers. It's, it's, I mean, it's separated powers in government, right? So that you, that you, you see that uh, Tower of Babel, he separated out those things because when there was one voice, one thing, they tried to build their own tower to God, their own way to God. So he separated out powers. And, and when we take and we say, okay, let's take embezzlement. I've had churches say, we shouldn't, we should not uh, call the police on embezzlement. I'm like, I actually don't agree. Um, the church should take care of the spiritual part and the, and, and the government should take care of the illegal behavior part. Mm. Okay. I agree. Yeah. And, 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 unless there's one exception for that, unless the person can make full restitution, right? So let's say someone embezzled it and they can make full restitution um, then we just take care of the spiritual part. Now, full restitution from a biblical part, they may not like that because in the Old Testament, it's three to seven times the amount, right? It's never equal. Mm. So if someone steals 100000 if we look at restitution in the Old Testament, it's three hundred dollars to $700,000 they would need to repay. I mean, so sometimes we're like, ah, I'd rather do it, you know, some other way. No, um, no. <laughs> yeah, you yes. probably don't. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so, I, so, there's, so what I'm saying is God wants us to take sin very seriously. All right. And, and break your relationship. Now, some people would say, but we shouldn't take, uh, you know, the quote first Corinthians six, that we shouldn't take our disputes before the courts. And I, I would say, yeah, that, that is true when it, but at the same time, no buts with that period. That is true. Period. When there's an illegal behavior that's happened that God has entrusted to another uh, group, then to go against that is also, um, you know, illegal. Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there's so, no law to the color of your carpet. Exactly. Uh, so maybe don't take that to a civil court to decide. Right. But there certainly is a law against, um, to go to the extreme, um, a, a sexual molestation of a minor. Exactly. Uh, and that, that's not something you just keep quiet. You don't exactly. do that. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's an, so that person should be spiritually disciplined, disciplined by the ruling body, whether that be you know, elders congregate, whatever that is in your, in your system. And they should be disciplined by the courts because that's, that's where that authority, that authority lies. And, um, and, and so um, that's, that's how I look at this. I, it's like, who has that, who has God entrusted that authority to? And he separated it because he knows our evilness that if he, if he puts it all into one person, we end up with the antichrist or, you know, we end up with the, 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 the spirit of the age, right. It, it mm. talks about, and and uh, and and that coming together because power forms pride and conceit and it's just it's got to be separated. Well, and I, I know we're running out of time. I have a few more questions for you, and one of them is this on the on the opposite side of that, the forming of pride and and power in one spot. You talk all through your book um, on you discuss the importance of humility it is, in, yeah. in the peacemaking process. Maybe answer this. How can we cultivate a spirit of humility in our own lives, especially within the context of conflict? So I say this to audiences often. The first step is to realize you're not a big deal. And people always laugh when I say that, but <laughs> you're just not that big of a deal. All right. No Ron so, Burgundy's in the, in the group here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Romans chapter 12 says, uh, I'm trying to think of it's verse three or four. Uh, it says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Galatians chapter six says, examine yourself and don't think that very much about yourself, right? We live in a current culture where, whether it's on my phone with Facebook and Instagram and where everything's about self, 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 self. And I'm a big deal. And I got this many posts and I, I mean, likes and I got, and it's all about driving to self. So the first step is you're just not that big of a deal when you're in conflict and you, so this one that I just brought up that I'm getting some counsel with on Friday, you know, I had to tell myself, 
I don't know, a thousand times, a hundred times. I don't know. Okay. This is about me serving my brother. I'm not that big of a deal. And I, I, you know, I did not respond a hundred percent because when I walked away under my breath, I said something I should, you know, I, I said something I shouldn't have. Um, so that's number one. Don't think of yourself. That's the first step to humility. Second part is Jesus Christ is the big deal. Mm. Right? So it's not that no one's the big deal. It's just that he is the big deal. And so um, he's the master. We're the slave. He's the, he's the one in charge. I'm not in charge. He's the one that's the boss. I'm the employee. I, you know what? Whatever language you want to use, he's the big deal. So, so we instantly go, it's not about me. If we want to exercise humility, it's about me responding to that person in a way that honors God, but also does what the boss says that I'm supposed to do. Does this making sense? Oh yeah. And, and that's I'm not working. I'm not working for myself. I'm working for my King. He calls us ambassadors or representations or representatives of the King. And I know everything I'm saying is counterculture because they they don't they don't people don't like when I say no I'm 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 bond servant of Christ I'm a slave of Christ they say that I don't like that yeah that's what the Bible says now you can call it employee and try to make it sound nicer you can call it whatever but he's the king I'm not and so that is the beginning to exercise humility and in going on in, in Romans twelve through twelve it says if possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. It's a highly quoted verse. The next verse says this, never take your own revenge, my beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Mm. No one ever quotes the second part of the verse. (laughs) And then it goes on in verse 21, never repay evil with evil, um, but repay evil with good. Mm. Okay. So this whole concept there, and some of that might've been a little bit paraphrased, but there's a whole concept here of like this. You're not a big deal. He's the king. He's a just king. So sometimes when I'm in conflict and I don't want to exercise humility, it's not that I don't want to exercise humility is I don't believe that God is just and he won't do the right thing. Mm. So if I believe that he's going to do the right thing, I can be humble all the time because I don't have to deal with it right now because he, he's going to, he's going to deal with it. And I'm actually preaching to myself about this conflict I had just the other day. <laughs> right now, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm, why just I live that here, I'm just sitting over here taking in the sermon because, I mean, it's good. And, you know, uh, thinking of yourself in that we've talked about in other episodes with, with Ryan. Uh, he's a counselor. He talks about never being in a one-up or a one-down position, being in a same as everyone else. Like, I am right. nothing more, but I'm also nothing less than that other person absolutely right same as and if you have trouble what like you said with the the bond servant uh uh, metaphor if you actually go and look at it in scripture and go into the depth of it and the servant driving an awl through the ear and the doorpost and like there's a lot of beauty actually in that metaphor um and it's not what you know maybe our culture in the last 400 years would have set up as a, a certain slave relationship um, so. No, exactly right. So this bond servant idea, the servant actually paid their debt and was free to go. But because they, this is out of Deuteronomy, I can't remember the reference, 35, I think. But anyways, uh, they they love their master so much. They they go to him and say, I want to be your servant for life. So even though all the debt was paid, they they love the master so much. They said, I want to be your servant for life. And then that's when they put the all and, you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And they were, became a servant for life. And, and it's beautiful. It's, it's out of a love relationship for the master, not out of uh, whips, chains, and no. overturning tables. If we go back to complete <laughs> circle, but, you know, out of fear. It's not a fear-based relationship. No, it's, it's about being chosen and then choosing. And there's a lot of, there's exactly not a, right. a, a power dynamic shift that's inappropriate there at all. Uh, all right. right. We, well, we... <laughs> We're we're out of time, but uh, before I, <laughs> before I ask you one more question, where can uh, we'll put some of this in the show notes? But where can those that are listening, watching, uh, find out more about you and and your ministry? So all of our information is in one of two places: either at peacemakerministries.org, our website, or if you download our app, it takes you to almost all the exact same places that the that the website takes you. And uh, we have introductory seminar training for a couple of them, you know, for how to have a conversation, right? That's one of our trainings. And another one of our trainings is what if the other person doesn't want to reconcile? 
We also do like board trainings, Robert's Rules of Order training, you know, just like functioning, you know, those kind of things uh, to prevent conflict. All that's on our website um, and on our app as well. Good, good. And we'll have some of those links in the show notes. Man, there, there's so many other questions I wanted to get to, you know, how to navigate conflicts with family members who have different religious beliefs, uh, lots more about forgiveness, but um, we'll just leave it with, with this. Uh, so I like to give uh, our guests and in, individuals that come on the show an opportunity at the end to speak directly to the listener. And maybe we have somebody who's listening in that has a lot of church conflict. Um, maybe they've been hurt by the church and they, they, maybe there is no hope that they can see of conflict resolution in their life uh, going further with the church or an individual. What would you say to, to someone who's struggling to forgive or reconcile with the church or even someone in their life today, and they just don't have that, that hope? It sounds good, but they just don't feel the hope of, of conflict resolution. Yeah. So what I would say very simply is this. Uh, I don't care about your feelings. I care about the truth that's dwelling inside of you. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the Prince of Peace, because you have been chosen and a believer of Jesus Christ, is dwelling inside of you. And start proclaiming that truth. You have been bought with a price. You are brand new. The blood of Jesus Christ covers you. Even though you may have been victimized, you're not a victim. Mm-hmm. You are, you are a, a, a child of God who is who's been loved by the almighty God and that he transforms you. You're not trying to forgive. The forgiveness has already happened through the cross of Jesus Christ. You're not working up to being unhurt. You're already set free from that. You are not re-victimized by your emotions. You are set free and now a servant of Christ to be to, to walk in his peace today, right? And, and to walk in that newness of life and to understand that the joy of God is your gasoline or your fuel in your heart today. And because uh, we're not byproducts of our circumstances, we're, we're new creations in Christ Jesus that happen to go through some crappy circumstances in this world, right? I shouldn't have said that. You, you um, say crappy. You're okay. on a great story <laughs> podcast. We allow some, uh, some informalities. <laughs> All right. So you, you may go through the manure. But I I will tell you that I just want people to understand that they can walk victorious today. How do we do that? Take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Set their eyes on the things above. Speak God's word and truth. Listen to the shepherd's voice. Find your strength and your trust in God. Let your heart be free from idols and walk by faith. There you have it. You have a game plan today. If you don't feel it, that's okay. You have a game plan to start walking in the truth that God has set you free and you are a new creation, a new creation with with joy and happiness and a direct line to God Almighty. He resides inside. I love it. Um, All right. Well, I think this is where the organ starts Um, and we we do an altar call. I don't know. (laughs) A lot of preaching today. I'm sorry. I'm so preachy. No, it's good. I am a preacher though. (laughs) Hey, hazards of it. Hey, uh, no, we're, we are out of time, uh, but, uh, uh, thank you, uh, Brian, for coming on Great Story Podcast today and sharing your expertise with us. Um, I know your time's valuable, so thank you for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, love to come back anytime. Absolutely. There's there's more questions to have, so that, that may be something we do. Um, all right. Hey, and for all of you guys out there listening, uh, we thank you for joining in on the conversation. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, give us a follow, tap a five-star rating, and drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow and hit that notification bell to never miss an episode. Like I say every time, there is no us without you. So get engaged, continue on your journey of restoration. Um, There's so much more for you in the body of Christ. Uh, We'll see you in two weeks for another episode. And until then, we'll be praying for you.